Swim in vulnerability. Otherwise, you'll risk drowning in comfort. Happy Monday to you. Let's do this thing. Welcome to another dose. I'm your host, Mike Schwartz. Today's show is going to be a doozy. We got a great guest in store, Mr. Forrest Eagle Speaker of the North Sound. Um, he's had some great success, and it ties in really well with the message here today on uh, on vulnerability and getting out of your own way and embracing change. Um, I wanted to talk to you about my personal experience about all that and uh, how it comes down to mindfulness and meditation for myself. Um, it's not just about the exterior, you know, working out in the gym, going for runs and, uh, and kicking ass. It's uh, kicking ass on the inside as well and being mindful and really addressing some of those inner-rooted, um, I wouldn't say problems, but inner-rooted inner stories that we have generated that are self-limiting beliefs. Um, big thing for me is uh, a new personal development tool I've uh, come across is Mind Valley. It's an online program. I'm currently on lesson three of six in the uh, in the meditation. It's been really really helpful for me uncovering some of the uh, blocking factors of uh, of my past and uh, and moved my my game forward, which is a fantastic fantastic approach, um, putting me out there and uh, making me really address the things that are kind of scary sometimes, you know. And that's the big. That's the big pitch here for today is uh, your, your motivation has got to come from within and uh, putting yourself in situations that are not uh, comfortable are really the only ways that you can grow. So find that little thing if it's a, a relationship and you just got to tell the, your significant other how you feel or if it's maybe a, uh, a writer's block. Um, get up, get out. Get out of the comfort zone, change up your environment, change up your scene, and expect to grow from there. All right. Our guest today, Mr. Forrest Eagle Speaker, is a shining example of this. Fresh off a nod as the Saskatchewan Country Music Association's Roots Artist of the Year. He had that nomination, and he's got a single currently. Um, the, the name of the track is Between the Ditches, which you'll hear later today in our, uh, in our chat. That track is actually doing real well right now. It's currently number 21 on the Indigenous Music Countdown. So I can't wait for you to hear all the fun things that we talk about. And uh, without further ado, here's Forest Eagle Speaker of the North South. All right, folks, welcome back. Sitting down, I'm in Calgary. I got a dear friend of mine out in Saskatoon. I got Forest Eagle Speaker. How you doing, my man? What up? What up? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I am. I am doing really well. Thank you for asking. Uh, thank you again so much for uh, for your time. We got a lot of stuff. I mean, we were even even before we were talking about what we could uh, go into in depth. We got so many different topics that uh, I think that you can you can weigh in on. You're uh, you're an artist. You're with North Sound. You're rocking and rolling between. Uh, you're, you're doing some really crazy things like. Why don't we start there, and uh, you can give, in your words, a little bit of a, a brief uh, Coles Notes intro on uh, on your musicianship and the career that, uh, that I mean, since last time we talked, the last couple of years have been pretty big for you. So why don't you give uh, a little back, bit of a background on, on who you are, where you came from, and uh, what the plans are moving forward. All right. So, uh, yeah, the North Sound. It's a little project I started um, back in 2014. 
just as a way to sort of share some of my songs. Um, at the time of starting the North Sound, I was kind of going through like a, a natural change um, stylistically. Um, it would all kind of stem from starting to listen and uh, enjoy different styles of music. Um, and so I wanted to use it as a way to sort of not be confined by any sort of genre and just write songs that, uh, that I like. And, um, I really, I'm really big on kind of, uh, emulating, uh, greats from the past to a certain extent. Um, I feel like in today's day and age, there's a lot of, uh, there's not enough emphasis put on the greats that have come before. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I try and I, I kind of keep that in the back of my mind when I'm writing my songs. Um, and so the stuff that I do is kind of, I mean, I'm just going to contradict what I just said and I'm going to put it into a genre. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> I consider it to be, uh, to be like soul folk is kind of how I consider it because it kind of, it kind of toes the line between past, um, and sort of what I consider to be a modern take on it. And uh, it's just a way to share my stories. Um, you know, um, as an indigenous person, stories are, are uh, stories and music kind of go way, way back to like the earliest ancestral times. And it's kind of one of the ways that uh, two of the ways that indigenous people have avoided complete genocide um, over the years is by having those stories and sharing those songs. And uh, so it's just kind of my way of connecting uh, to my my musicianship, my artistry, and also to myself as an indigenous person uh, who grew up away from the culture. Yeah. I wasn't privileged enough to grow up with my culture. So this is sort of my, a way that I started to reclaim that. Yeah, no. And I really like that. And that's why uh, when we first met this is back a couple of years now, when we first met, that was one of the things I immediately picked up. I love the story. I love um, you almost walk in right in between two lines, two worlds, if, if you will, uh, between indigenous heritage and, uh, and you know, the rest of Canada as, as they would say. Right. So it's um, it's a very, very, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a very interesting um, because you get to see from both, lenses i guess um you see both sides and that's very very interesting it kind of dips into a piece that uh, that we can visit here a little bit later um with regards to the the projects that you're currently working on um my first question to you though dude is what um i guess speaking to that in in your indigenous like what differences do you see are are the biggest things as far as those stories go you know you say you got uh, a soul roots and how do the stories of your indigenous heritage how do they play as compared to stories um and music in in popular times that aren't necessarily categorized as indigenous music do, do you see a big difference between the two um I, I do I do see a bit of a difference, um, and one of the main things uh, that I see is that um, you know it, it's it's and it, it's a, it's a very natural sort of thing because um, I sing I sing songs and tell stories about uh, my life, about my experience, about my family's experience, about the people that are close to me, and um, uh, because of that. Um, there's a lot of traces of uh, intergenerational effects and intergenerational traumas because uh, a lot of the a lot of the ways that my life has gone up until now is because of those uh, intergenerational effects. You know, um, 
like my grandmother, she, uh, she went to residence. And so she spent a, a very large portion of her life, um, being an alcoholic. Um, and so at the time when she was an alcoholic, she had my mother. And so my mom never fully learned how to be a mother. Mm-hmm. You know, she tries her best and, but my, my mom's a survivor. Like, you know, I got mad love for my mom. Uh, she's a mad survivor, but those effects are there. So in turn, I grew up in an alcoholic drug addict household. Um, and, uh, one that was filled with trauma. My mom had traumas from uh, indigenous people. So that also in itself was a way to be taken away from my culture. Cause my grandmother didn't grow up with her culture. Right. right. So these things were passed down to me. And so what I, I knew was very different, um, from what other people who aren't familiar with the indigenous perspective, uh, say is I don't need to I feel like within my stories I don't need to share you know the the beads and feathers narrative that often gets put on indigenous people um because it is inherently intergenerational which is something that indigenous people face in Canada and across in North America in general right yeah no well that's a that's a cool point and that's um in the fact that you just you you write from such an authentic space right um, based off of your experiences. So yeah, let's, let's dive into that. I mean, um, you're more than just the music, that's for sure. And that's, what's so intriguing about your story. Um, I, I understand you've, uh, you've now picked up, uh, some work with, uh, with a group Canadian roots exchange. Can you talk to us a bit about the work that you do in that role and how it, uh, goes hand in hand with your music? Yeah, for sure. So, um, the Canadian Roots Exchange is a nonprofit charitable organization that's uh, based in Toronto, Saskatoon, and uh, we also have a couple of staff that work remotely from their homes. Uh, we're coast to coast, and um, we do we do reconciliation work, uh, and we focus on the youth. So um, our whole mandate is um, uh, is to strengthen relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. Um, the uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Committee, uh, but they um, so they put out 99 calls to action and um, for the government to sort of hold them accountable on and uh, indigenizing Canada and sort of um, to start on that reconciliation. And so we operate under Call to Action 66, which is. Um, holding the government accountable of providing funding for youth programming uh, and to create a, a connected network of youth across the country. So um, the work that I do specifically with this organization is I am a community engagement and program coordinator with what's called the National Youth Reconciliation Initiative. Um, so I oversee six different cities and in those cities I'm establishing teams of four to 10 people uh, to go out into the community and plan, organize, and facilitate events around reconciliation. So topics of reconciliation are very broad. Um, and it's, it's, reconciliation is a, you know, can be a bit of a confusing term. Um, and uh, so the best way that I've heard it described is by a man here in Saskatoon. His name is Eugene Arcan. He's a residential school survivor. And he said, it's not about what reconciliation is. It's about what we're reconciling. It's kind of interesting to look at it in a way where it's, it's less about defining the word and it's more about taking action on a specific thing. Oh man, that's, that's powerful right there. Now, 
That's uh, mm-hmm. all right. No, that is powerful, my man. Um, how does how does the reconciliation play into your your actual song craft? Um, so for me, it's all about um, well, exactly kind of what I said. It's about like what are we reconciling? And for me, uh, the way that I kind of add my my songwriting into that is that I'm sharing stories, right? I'm I'm sharing stories, which is uh, which is a traditional is a traditional. Um, thing for indigenous people like i mentioned before like we share stories we share songs and so it's sort of for me as a way to create a space um where um my story which is very similar to a lot of indigenous youth close to my age and a little younger and even a little older um, a lot of people have the same sort of experience um and so it's about creating a space where people who are indigenous and non-Indigenous can receive the same story, but in a very, very, um, well, in a very universally friendly way, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's very difficult to sit down with someone and have your perspective, um, you know, uh, heard or respected. And um, it's, it's, what I've learned is that a lot of times when the story and the message isn't being respected, it isn't because the person is unwilling, but it's because there's a lot of, um, there's just been a lot of uh, dishonesty mm-hmm. about, um, about indigenous people and the indigenous story uh, in, in every place, you know, um, in our education system, they, they start telling, they, they, they don't tell the whole story. Um, and they tell lies about what actually happened at the residential schools. And uh, they tell lies about the Indian Act. And they don't educate the full, honest truth about um, the systemic genocide that Indigenous people have faced since, well, since essentially day one of, uh, of this land be, uh, being colonized. Yeah. So for me, it's just about sharing the stories in a way where it's just, it just is what it is. It's non-confrontational. Uh, about music is that a lot of times when it comes down to music if the shit's good the shit's good you know what i mean people are going to listen to it people are going to enjoy it regardless of you know race color creed sexual orientation gender it doesn't matter if it clicks with them it clicks with them yeah no i love that now that you brought up something that uh, got my brain going uh right in the early part of that answer too is that you mentioned uh, indigenous and also non-indigenous. No, what what kind of things can uh, people that aren't necessarily familiar with the indigenous uh, side of of Canadian roots exchange? You mentioned like it, this is about educating everybody. So, what kind of things are uh, are you guys doing to make it um, more known or or like make your your mission uh, better recepted? Uh, received sorry uh to uh to people that don't identify as indigenous um so as an organization we're very um we're very meaningful in a lot of our actions and so big things that we do is we ensure that we have a uh, a staff of people who are well balanced between indigenous and non-indigenous people Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that it's meaningful representation not just representation meaningful representation Okay. What's so uh, sure you have uh, as? Sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was, I was, sorry. I think we just got cut off on that on the on the Wi-Fi there. I was just going to say, what what does that actually mean? What does uh, meaningful like? What define that for me? So it means like you know, there's a lot of tokenism. There's a lot of tokenization of indigenous people, and sometimes for non-indigenous people, it's like uh, and for you know, for women of color, um, you know, um, people who identify as uh, as trans, as, as gay, queer. Um, there's a lot of tokenism that goes on in these things because people are trying to fill uh, to fill a mandate. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we ensure that we have a meaningful representation in a way that not only do we have a good balance of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, but we also have people who are driven, motivated, very well educated, and that really just know their shit. You know, it's yeah. not uh, it's not just filling a face. It really is about like like the, I don't the best way to put it is meaningful representation and so we do the same thing with our teams we try and balance our teams out uh, with a good healthy balance of indigenous and non-indigenous people and we also create the spaces where indigenous and non-indigenous people can be together and speak mm-hmm. while also creating spaces where non-indigenous can speak with non-indigenous and indigenous can speak with indigenous people you know, because the roles, the roles are slightly different in reconciliation. Um, you know, there is a different role for uh, indigenous people than there will be for non-indigenous people. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on that. Um, while we're still on the topic too, can you give us an example of some of these, uh, like a tangible events or are you, are you guys like, is that how the, the operation works? Like, do you set up shows? Do you set up uh, events? Do you, how, do, how do you communicate this message in the public? Yeah, so um, there's there like specifically for what for what my job is. There are other initiatives that CRE does, uh, but specifically for what I'm doing. Um, so the groups or the teams that I've established uh, in the in in each city that I oversee, um, they're going to be going through a a planning phase where they look at you know what is relevant in their community. So. One of the biggest ones right now, just an example, is in Regina. In Regina, they feel that there is a, um, the response from both Indigenous and non-Indigenous participants is that Regina has a racism problem. Yeah. Um, and so, what, so their events will be catered directly towards, um, towards racism. So it'll be things, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the things that I've heard of, that want to go out there. And I mean, we are still in the planning phase right now. So no, no events have gone out yet. Cause our, our year is just starting. Like I'm just selecting my teams. Right. Um, but in the past they've done things like, um, they've done film screenings where they'll show a film at a certain location that's free to the public. Everyone and anyone can come. And, uh, one year they showed, uh, they showed Indian horse, and um, then after that, they did, uh, after they, f- they showed the film, um, they created a sort of like a, a safe space to share and ask questions. And they sort of had a conversation um, about what they experienced in the movie, how it made them feel. Um, and then sort of, you know, it went from there. Um, other things that have been done, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to start a, uh, I'm trying to start a youth open mic here in Saskatoon because, um, uh, there isn't a place for the youth to go to, to, to get their, 
you know, to, to get their chops and to share their stories. Uh, cause unfortunately as a youth artist, you kind of have to wait till you're of bar age to start getting into it, which I think is, um, wrong. So yeah. I want to create a space where these youth, um, can go and share their stories, share their songs and have it be heard by everyone and anyone, you know, and having that consistency there where it happens once a week and um, maybe having a theme or a topic each week. So maybe one week will be, will be uh, creations around uh, the MMIWG2S plus uh, one will be about the opioid crisis. One will be about, uh, you know, growing up, growing up in Canada, you know, just whatever, just different, uh, different themes and topics. Cool, man. No, it sounds like a great initiative. And this it's a way of getting the, the entire community together. We're talking not just local community, but also the music community to get more people rallying behind on such a such a great thing. Because we'd be blind um, and living under a rock, basically, if we didn't see the uh, like, that's one thing that I'd, I'd love your take on. Why is there such a resurgence now of indigenous music in into popular music? We've got Tanya Tagak. We've got uh, oh man, I could, like we could go on. Like there just seems to be more uh, more of a thing happening. And, and do you think that this is a good thing? Do you think that this is a great thing? Do you think that like this is like why is it happening now? Yeah, I de- definitely think it's a great thing. Um... I, um, there's so many great artists right now who identify as indigenous and are, you know, blending their cultural songs. Like Tanya Chagog is cool. Cause she brings in, uh, she brings throat singing. Yeah. Uh, and you got the Jerry I mean, like, style. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a tribe called red, which kind of broke yeah. the whole thing open in a sense. Um, you know, and uh, there is a, there is a big resurgence going on about it right now. Um, but I also want to. I also want to just take this opportunity to sort of shed some light on some. Uh, there's, there's always been, there's always been a serious presence of indigenous people, uh, not only making music but influencing generations. Um, okay. People like, like Charlie Patton, who is known as like the father of the Delta Blues. Uh, Mildred Bailey, she's known as Mrs. Swing. She's the the person who started the big band sound in jazz music. Frank Sinatra grew up listening to Mildred Bailey records. Um, Link Ray, who was, who was indigenous. um, He is the father of the power chord and known as the, the person who popularized the fuzz tone guitar. Um, There's Jesse Ed Davis who played in a group called Taj Mahal in the seventies. And, um, he, after he performed with Taj Mahal on the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, he became the most hired guitar player through the late 70s, early 80s. Um, Robbie Robertson of the band, he's, uh, he's Mohawk from Six Nations. Yeah. Um, in, you know, like there's, there's been these people, I mean, Ozzy Osbourne's drummer, he was an indigenous fellow too. There's always been a large presence of indigenous people in music. Mm-hmm. But I think what's kind of happened is that, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really want to try and speculate too hard about why it's happening now. I'm just really, really thankful that it is. You know? Yeah. 
I, I think we can all agree to that. That's, that's fantastic. And I mean, thank you for departing all that wisdom there too, because I think it's so important for people to just sit back and be like, oh, really? Because I, I know that that's news to a lot of people. A lot of it's news to me, right? I, I didn't know half these uh, these folks had such a heavy, heavy influence in the music industry. And it's, it's really great to see. And it comes down to like, it, it, like we don't need to be like putting putting mm. the race card in there or putting um, our our orientation those are those are two that come to mind right now. How much of that actually contributes to more of um, the separation or segregation of these different uh, people that identify different ways? Why can't it just be more like music music man? Well, because I think that there's a big there's a big misunderstanding of the term racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lack of understanding about the different types of racism. Um, so, uh, and the two main ones that I see um, are uh, systemic racism and, uh, and interpersonal racism. Now, these are two very different things, right? Um, and systemic racism is the one that I think needs to be addressed the most because that's the one that is being passed down from generations. That's mm-hmm. the one that breeds ignorance right that's the one where you know people are just unaware of their bias people are just unaware of the beliefs that they have because it got passed down to them from you know their parents and that got passed down to them from their parents and their parents and so on and so forth right so i think that um in order for us to reach that spot where it really is about the music, there's a lot of people in this world that are going to have to really take a look at the way that they were raised and maybe just maybe they'll have to be all right with admitting the fact that everything that they thought that they knew was wrong. Yeah. That's powerful. That's powerful. Do you think that that's going to happen? I'm, I am positive. I am very positive about this because, you know, um, we have to be, you know, uh, we have to be positive about it because the way I look at it is that, um, you know, I have, uh, there, there's, there are generations that have come after me that have fought. Sorry, sorry. There are generations that have come before me that Mm -hmm. have fought so hard to make it to where they were at. And now it's my turn to pick up where those people left off. And so, I don't want to leave behind when it's my turn, when I, when I'm the aging generation and there are, you know, young, powerful, influential, inspiring, motivated indigenous youth that are coming generations after me. I want to leave them with positivity. I want to leave them with strength. I want to leave them with something good for them to jump off of, you know? Totally. No, I love that. And I, again, I keep on coming back. That's the first thing when I, when I listen to your, uh, when I listen to your full length, man, holy, I mean, it's so uplifting. Your music is so powerful, like yours specifically. And, and for you to be able to have influence on our, on our youth, indigenous or not, man, the music is power, right? And uh, when you've got kids coming up, on the come up and they're they're understanding what their words and what their what their craft can uh can hold i mean that's just that puts a whole context and i really am hopeful and i'm with you on that that this can definitely shift an entire it's a movement right it, it can definitely have influence and and really reshape things to to make it better for everybody i think so um 
Actually, that's, that's actually a great way to kind of close things down on this first bit here. Um, in the fact that uh, I, I thought I saw a guitar in, uh, in the picture there. Have you still got that guitar? Oh, yeah. She's right here. Oh, well, how do you feel about dusting things off and maybe playing a, ripping, a, ripping a few things for us? All right. Yeah, I can, I can rip a song here. Um, That'd be awesome, man. Yes, give us a, what you going to play for us today, buddy? Um, I'll let you choose. Pick A or B. Oh, Pick A or B. There's no wrong answer here. So I'm no. a, I'm I'm an A kind of guy. Let's let's move A. <laughs> you are an A kind of guy. Yeah, I'm All an right. A-hole. <laughs> I'm an A-hole, so let's go with that. <laughs> All right. This is uh so I'll play you my uh my single that I got going out there right now, uh between the ditches. Yeah. Um, um, I know like in the world of streaming, it's really hard to gauge uh, or it can be hard to gauge how, how successful that is. But I remember the first time you, uh, you linked me that and I listened to that. It was like a different level. Like you're, you're a great songwriter, right? But you're at a different level. So talk to us about the success of that tune and then where did it come from? Oh man, Between the Ditches has been, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for how well Between the Ditches has been doing. Um, and um so it, it kind of it definitely was the first time that um you know as a, as a young as a young eager artist um everything that i recorded and everything i wrote was going to be the next big thing right yeah, <laughs> totally totally that's how it always goes you know you're young you're full you're figuring things out and uh you know so everything that i wrote was going to be the one and uh, it never it it never really came Um, and so sort of after really, you know, falling victim to some of my vices and really losing myself for a little while, um, between the ditches was a song that I wrote, uh, to just, to just feel good, uh, to put something out into the world with no expectation and to just really be satisfied with it myself, not worrying about what anyone else thought about it, not worrying about how many streams or, how many awards or wh- how much money or whatever it's going to do, just really wanting to put something that I felt good about. And, um, and it was also a way for me to sort of heal, uh, heal some of my, some of my wounds that I've, you know, accumulated over the years. Um, my old man, he used to have a saying, um, my old man was, uh, was a pretty, you know, there's a lot of things about him um, and uh, that were really great but one of his not so great things was that he was a really, a really vicious alcoholic. Um, and he used to justify his, his drinking by any means necessary. And so one of the things that he would always say, a saying that I grew up with was, uh, keep it between the ditches and you'll find your way home. Um, and so unfortunately that, that phrase had a lot of negative connotation for me, but I found it to be a beautiful sentiment. Um, so I rewrote it. I rewrote it and turned it into something that uh, will forever be now known as a positive thing because it's just about believing in yourself, focusing on what it is that you want, and ultimately just not really giving a fuck about what anyone else thinks or says, man. Because yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, all those fucking people that are, you know, that have their opinions and that that think you should do it this way or do it that way, they're not gonna be there in your final moments of life, you know. Yeah. Love it. All you're going to have is you. So you might as well get right with yourself. Yeah, man. No, I couldn't say it uh, better. 
myself holy smokes yeah it's powerful dude and now it it makes a lot of sense with that tune so without further ado how about we take a listen to between the ditches you want to give this one uh, a, a little intro you can do your best radio voice here yeah yeah give her this is between the ditches by the north Star. don't look up now it's coming down sitting with Forrest. Talk to me. You made mention that this song in particular was really big in your healing process. And you also said that uh, it was a point in your life where you felt you were losing yourself. Talk to me a little bit more about the story that like, what does that all mean? What is this healing process? Why is music such a, an important part of that for you? Um, yeah, so, uh, so, you know, just uh, kind of where I grew up and, uh, you know, the way I was, the way I was living early on um, was, 
you know, it was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, I mentioned before that I, my parents, they were uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, and I grew up in that kind of environment, um, kind of. And so that was sort of, to me, um, being kind of involved in, uh, in, you know, in the, in, in the life of the streets was kind of, it was, it seemed normal and natural to me. So at a very young age, I started getting involved in, uh, in, in that sort of stuff. Um, and, uh, so I developed a, a drinking problem at a really young age. Um, I started, I was an alcoholic from the age of 13 from my, uh, from my first sort of time drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, uh, I carried that with me for a lot of years. And of course that leads into other addictions and other things as well. Um, and I just thought it was normal. You know, I thought that, uh, drinking and, and, and getting high all the time and playing shows and, you know, looking for that street cred and, you know, not following any sort of rules, like doing my own sort of thing. Um, I thought that was normal because that was all I really knew. Um, but the problem with that is that there isn't a lot of, uh, <clears throat> you don't really take the time to take care of yourself, you know, um, in a good, healthy way. Um, and then in, uh, in 2014, um, uh, I lost, uh, I lost my grandmother. Um, she was very sick for a long time and my grandmother, she, she raised me, um, you know, I credit so much of who I am today, uh, to my wonderful grandmother. And so I lost her and that was, that was, uh, that was really tough. And then following that about six months later, um, my, my dad, uh, my dad committed suicide or sorry, suicided. Um, and so that sort of, that sort of brought to light, um, a lot of things that I had been hiding and a lot of things that I kept way deep down inside me, you know, this dark little seed. Um, when I work, when I used to work in the, in the community a little bit more, when I was working in group home, I used to always tell these kids, you know, um, negativity is like a little dark seed that gets planted in somewhere deep inside of you. And if you don't pluck that seed out, it spreads into every part of your, every part of your body. So that's what sort of happened is all the negative little seeds that I had planted, uh, uh, they spread to a point where it was uncontrollable. It was unmanageable for me. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was really tough to get myself out of that. I tried to, I tried a bunch of different things. You know, I tried to, um, I tried hiding it. I tried, you know, I tried going a more of a spiritual route. I even tried to go religion a little bit and nothing really, nothing really worked for me. Uh, the only thing that really started to work for me was becoming honest, you know, it was becoming honest and, um, reaching out and talking to people that have, you know, an understanding and have the same issues as me. Cause as an alcoholic, the only person that really through is another alcoholic. And we don't like to ask for help, you know, um, but it's what's it's, it's it's key and it's essential in my uh, in in my recovery and in my life now today, because 
what I've, what I understand now is that all these things that I have, and I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for the life that I have. I have an amazing family. I have a great job. Um, I have a, um, I have a, a music career that is really starting to go well, um, is in a very infantile stage right now, but I see nothing but potential. Um, and so I'm very grateful for everything that I have. And one thing that I do understand is that sobriety, my sobriety is at the very center of it. You know, it's the, it's sort of the keystone in the archway of my life. Uh, um, if I pull that out, everything will crumble underneath it because then I'm not taking care of myself, you know, cause as an alcoholic, someone who has a disease, that's what alcoholism is. It's a disease. Um, I have to take care of that. I have to treat it. And, um, so that's a really big part of my, of my self care is making sure that I do the things necessary to stay sober because, you know, if I'm not sober, everything that I have right now, it'll just be a matter of time before I lose it. And, um, you know, I've, I'm used to surviving, but I'm not, I'm, I'm just getting used to thriving now. And, uh, I like thriving a lot more. Oh, well put, my man. I love that. I love that. Every bit of that is, uh, that's, that's inspiration. And that's such a powerful message because as you and I both know, it's, it's not just you. It's not just me. It's not just like, there are so many people that can relate to that story. Everybody's going to have a different spin on it, but so many people can relate to that. Either it's an addiction or it's a, a family member that might be experiencing. One thing I'd like to revisit here just quickly is you made a quick adjustment that I, I picked up on. I just want you to maybe speak to this. You mentioned that your father, originally you said uh, he had committed suicide and then you said he had suicided. So can you, can you walk me through the difference on that and what you mean? Yeah. So um, the term committing suicide um, sort of, um, it creates this idea that the person who, who took their own life um, committed a crime or did something wrong, you know, like they committed. Cause you know, when you commit murder or you commit a robbery, do something like that. It's, it's, it sort of puts this negative connotation on it. But the fact of the matter is when people suicide, um, they're not doing anything wrong. They're just doing the only thing that makes sense to them at that time. You know, um, they're trying to find a way out. And I mean, it's really, you know, it's, I feel like uh, suicide is something that is a very difficult topic to talk about because the fact of the matter is, is that uh, it really only affects the ones left behind. You know, the, the person that suicides, they are free from their, you know, from their earthly bindings. Um, but I just found that when I was, you know, dealing with that, and I still deal with it every day, um, just understanding the, the, the sadness and the despair that my dad was going through in those final moments, um, saying that he committed suicide and did something wrong just leaves a negative connotation on it. And, um, I just find that it's a lot more helpful to look at it in a way where it was despair. You know, it wasn't a hurtful negative action. It was despair. Yeah. I, uh, I agree. You know how much language and uh, the work that I do in behavioral change 
how much of that comes down to thoughts and language, right? And I really like, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to um, uncover that because that's another thing that I think a lot of people don't even consider. It's just something that we're grown up listening to. Mm-hmm. And the power of that word committing, it, it does have a negative connotation towards it. And I think that's really, really powerful and uh, to be so, to be so courageous to actually step up and, and say that and, and have an emphasis on that, that's, that's powerful. And that can help change minds as well, right? So that we don't have these. And instead, we look for solutions to help those that do feel that despair. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, like little simple things like that can create the difference between, um, you know, between someone reaching out for help and someone not reaching out for help, just the way that you speak, you know, just your language. Um, you know, cause I mean, only we know when we're talking only in our minds, do we know our intent? Mm-hmm. Um, and our language needs to reflect that. So it takes it for us to be, um, mindful of how we're saying what we're saying and making yeah. sure that it is that we're benefiting, um, all people, in my opinion, you know, I want to be, I want to try and be as uh, inviting as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And it's, it's a collective. And I, I say this, that's a whole host uh, of, of problems that, that we have in the industry. And uh, a big part of that is just getting a little more, um, collective in our thoughts like it's a it's an entire uh it's an entire village you know as they say that uh can change the the way that uh, that things go but it starts with one voice and uh to have such a such a courageous voice on the other line here right now man thank you so much for uh speaking to that um another thing i'd like to visit on this too though while we're on the topic of health you mentioned that you're now taking care of yourself your your um sobriety is a big part of it but what are the kind of things that you're doing um that that you may not have ever maybe even not even realized that you you were uh so inclined are you are you getting into the gym are you playing some sports are you uh are you eating well like talk to us about uh, the day-to-day of uh of forest eagle speaker yeah so i actually have been going to the gym lately um i know you'll be proud of that <laughs> yeah buddy i'm very proud that's awesome that's great yeah, how's it going I, I, it's been going good. Uh, one of the biggest things that I, one of the biggest reasons that I always failed in the past about going to the gym and, um, well, I guess I shouldn't say failed, but why I had unsuccessful attempts previous to this, um, is because, um, my mindset is everything all at once. Yeah. You know, everything all at once. I'm going to the gym. All right. Now I need to change my diet. Now I have to, (laughs) I have to stop seeing all my people to go to the gym and commit to going every single day. I need to quit smoking right now. I need to do all this shit. Whereas I just need to get into the gym. You got to find your shoes. That's what it is. That's what it is. Put your gym shoes by the door. Next day, put your gym shoes on. Oh man, you're speaking. This is the, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but man, oh man. That's, that's the biggest thing. And I just spoke in Ottawa about that is that how everybody thinks it's all or nothing. So Mm. what kind of things have you been taking? uh, Like, how did you break that down? How how did you take it step by step? Um, You know, kind of just really um, focusing on one day at a time and um, putting that into every aspect of my life. And sometimes one day at a time is one hour at a time, one minute at a time, you know, it, it, but it's just, it, the, the, the point of it is, is just doing what I can right now, doing my best right now. 
and mm-hmm. not worrying about the past because hoping for a better past is insane and not worrying about the future because as of right now, that's fiction, totally. right? The future is entirely fiction. So just focusing on what I can do right now and listening to myself and understanding that, uh, you know, the, it really is just about what I can do, you know, and I, I've been doing lots of, uh, you know, I, I've gotten really into uh, like prayer and meditation, um, not necessarily into any sort of religious aspect or components. Um, I know that prayer for a lot of people is a big, scary word, and I can relate because it was a big, scary word for me for a long time as well, um, because prayer is often associated with religion. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people have issues with religion. I am of the belief that um, if it works for you, then it works for you. I have no judgment towards anyone on any of their beliefs. Um, so, but I've gotten into prayer and just getting used to the fact that um, I am not the be all end all of the, I am really not fully in control of anything. Yeah. Um, life happens around me and all I am is I'm just one microscopic piece of it, you know? And so I turn my will over every single day to, uh, to positivity. I turn it over to the universe and I take a leap every single day. I start my day with, uh, with a good prayer and I ask for help. I ask for help today to just, uh, to, to live in today, you know, to not live in guilt, fear, and shame, uh, to just keep myself in a positive mind space because if I'm putting out positivity and positive is co- positivity is coming back to me, then I can put more out and more can come back. You see where this goes, right? It's all yeah. about putting that out and receiving and then doing it all over again. Um, yeah. And I try and find time to, uh, to really sit and be with myself, even if it's 10 minutes. 10 minutes of meditation can do so much for somebody, you know, it's, uh, just, just slowing that mind down and paying attention to your breathing. I, uh, I'm, I really focus on my breath, uh, quite a lot. Um, it's very easy to slip into, uh, to slip into depression. Uh, it's really easy to slip into anxiety and it's really easy to slip into, you know, ADHD fits and, um, Focusing on my breath is a good way to ground myself, you know? Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's, that's a large part of uh, people laugh when they, when they ask, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, in, the, in that world, like when I'm working with mindset and I'm working with movement, some of the first drills I do, I'm so glad you spoke to this. Some of the first shit that I do is like, okay, going to teach you how to breathe. <laughs> and uh-huh. look at me like I got three heads and I'm sitting there going like, look, like your shoulders are rising. You're right from the chest. You're breathing through your mouth. You're in constant state of fear. No wonder you feel that the sky is falling because you're in a, you're in a fight or flight response 24 seven. And what I found in, in my own um, personal development, but also in my coaching clients and uh, in working with artists is that if we can just slow things down, like you said, focus on a breath and ground ourselves, everything else seems to get really not so big. You know what I mean? Like you put yourself in a perspective and it's a really cool scope to have that aha moment from. And it's, uh, it can literally change your life if you can just slow down and, uh, and breathe. Right. So, yeah, especially for artists, man, like we have so in, in to be an artist in today's 
today's world is so much more uh, than it used to be for, you know, back in like the 60s, 70s and 80s. It's in the 90s. It's so much more now because there's so many artists out there. There's so many musicians out there who are, you know, who are either incredibly talented or incredibly marketable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many artists out there that we really have to take on a lot to be an artist today as uh, to, to want to be a thriving artist. You know, if you want to be someone who just, you know, you hobbyist, like all the power to you, you do your thing. Right. But for yeah. someone like me who really wants to do this every single day and wants to make a living off of it, I have to be the artist first, first and foremost, I have to be the manager. I have to be, my finance person. I have to be my marketing team. I have to be um, my graphic designer. I have to be the person that sets up all my meetings. I have to be the person that promotes myself and puts, you know what I mean? Like there is so much that you have to do. I'm my own booking agent. Like I have to do all of this stuff myself. And so as an artist today, it's important to ground yourself and realize that you can only do what you can do because it is such a saturated market and you do have to do so much. You have to do so much to get even the smallest amount of traction, you know? So mm-hmm. practicing that one day at a time and breathing and understanding the true meaning of patience, it makes it seem so much, it makes it seem like not such a big task because all I can do today is what I can do. Everything else, everything else is just, you know, it's out of my control. Yeah, man. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's, and you stole the script right off of my notes here too, because that was the next question. I was like, we were talking about that in Toronto and how, yeah. how the, how the rock star lifestyle is totally different because you do have so many more demands on you and you don't have that development contract. There's no such thing. You got to have all your all your shit together first, right? And then you present it. So you got to make sure you're charting on Spotify, you're streaming here, you're on playlists. Never mind that. You're actually touring, you're booking, you've got a, a 30 day, a 90 day, you've got like your whole year charted out and you're one guy. And then you got to go out and play, by the way. You got to do your job. And then you got to write songs, by the way, so that you have more material. Yeah right? And then you got to find time to book into the studio. It's like, it's so overwhelming that no kidding, we're, we're finding it very difficult for, uh, for the coping mechanism. So it's that much more important. Um, I know you mentioned meditation, you get to the gym. I also know that you are not a Raptors fan, but you are a 76ers. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, so this hype about, uh, what, what do you think about this whole hype about Kawhi? <laughs> Yo, I I was awake at like 12.30 when like that came through and I immediately hopped on the phone to call my brother because my brother's a huge Lakers fan. Yeah. And um, he was really hoping, like he was hoping that Kawhi was going to get there. And then when Paul George moved over to the Clippers too, I, I kind of lost it. I'm not going to lie. Um, right. I definitely was like, I was, but I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I was, you know, just knowing the personalities of Kawhi uh, and Paul George, I wouldn't have predicted it, but seeing it now come to fruition the way that it did, it it totally makes sense. I don't think it could have been any other way. Right, 
right now, how do you compare it to the formation of something like a dynasty um, where, whereas the heat were trying to build that team and uh, old nineties bulls and stuff like that. Is there any comparison there? Do you think you're, you're more specialized in this than I am. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's really difficult to compare today's game to the old game because it's so different. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's such a different mindset. Um, cause realistically right now in the NBA, there are, there's a handful of teams. I don't know exactly how many off the top of my head right now, but there's a handful of teams with dynasty potential, you know, totally. yeah. you have this whole idea of super teams is just kind of the way that the, that the league has gone. And so seeing it, it kind of, it's, I don't know. I, I really, I'm just happy Golden State isn't, they're kind of like, <laughs> they've they like quickly, like even 10 years ago, I remember, or maybe not ten, that long back, but like at least five years ago, I know I was in Oakland and people were like, who we have a basketball team. I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> yes. Like what? I'm not even a huge basketball fan. Um, and I knew that. And I'm just sitting there going like, but now everybody just bandwagon is they're kind of become the Yankees of baseball, you know, for people that don't yeah. know the sport, they're jumping on that bandwagon because they, they, they feel that, okay, we got a, a few all-stars of uh, our generation out there, but they know nothing about the sport. And they, and that's what, you know, you see all the Yankee caps out there and they're like, okay, who's your favorite player? They're like, Oh, I don't know. I just wear the hat. <laughs> like, okay. Yo. Yeah. I honestly, no joke. I used to rock the Yankees hats and I like, I don't watch baseball. I don't play baseball. No, I don't know yeah. anything about baseball, but I used to rock a Yankees cap back in the day because, uh, because 50 used to rock the, the Yankees exactly. cap back in the day, you know, you know what? And, and Jay-Z, they used to 50 and Jay-Z, they used to rock them. So I was on that. Of course. And that is a testament to like, we could, we could go on for hours on this on how well marketing plays into a game, right? If you've got uh, a guy like Jay-Z, wearing a nice uh embossed yank hat you've got a whole generation of new yankee fans man they should have been paying him royalties <laughs> they probably do yeah i know right there's <laughs> there's that side of the game too that. yeah there's definitely uh, but i just i do want to just throw it out there quickly um it's not that i'm not a toronto raptors fan okay no, i don't want to no. have i know that i, I do know I, that I, <laughs> We gotta I build this up, though. That. We gotta build this up. We want to get some hate, right? We want to get like, yeah. who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, I ha- I have like three. I have like my top three teams that yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Right. I have the Sixers are number one. Yeah, um, that goes back to like like Al because Allen Iverson was like my first hero. Oh, okay, yeah, it makes a lot of sense now. AI. Yeah, he was my first hero, so I've been loyal to Philly because of that. Um, and then and. And then it's the Lakers because I grew up in a Lakers household and I just, I've always loved the Lakers and like they're one of the most, I think they may be the most winning uh, team in the NBA. I think they have 16 championships. That sounds right. Um, that sounds right. And then, and then the Raptors because okay. Vince Carter used to play there. Tracy oh, McGrady yeah. used to play there, uh, yeah. you know, and, and it's like the only Canadian team. So it's like, I got to show yeah. some love. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, there's no shade here. I know, I know. I just got to build up that hype, right? <laughs> I got to put that in the tag. I had to throw that in there, though. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Like, watch what's the podcast? The 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 episode titled "This Guy Doesn't Like the Raptors," and watch how many people come <laughs> to your show. 
They paid the yeah, company. I'm down. I'm down for that. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm just down helping. for that. Helping. I I share a, a bit of a a weird because like as a kid I grew up watching ball right baseball and um, I was always a hockey player. I never really really went as far as I could have with baseball, and um, I, my 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 nanny, my grandma, my dad's uh, mom. She would come out and she would come out every summer and we'd play baseball in the backyard and we just watched Blue Jays games all the time. So my first team was like 92 World Series champions, like just amazing, right? Early 90s, Jays, I loved it. You had Ed Sprague, John Olerud, Robbie Alomar, Joe Carter, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Then the first ball game, kid you not, I ever went to was actually that time I was just referring to in Oakland. And... I fell in love with a guy, Coco Crisp. I was like my first, like, real holy smokes. The guy, first at bat in my first ever majors game, smokes a ball about 30 feet away from me, home run, walk off. Like, just like one of those, like, bam, okay, that's what baseball is. And the place went crazy. This is when they went from, like, the basement and they came out uh, top of their division to make the playoffs. And I caught the second last game before they clinched. So, the, as you can imagine, it was just dynamite energy, right? So, like, I fell in love with two teams. So, I do have the Oakland A's and I got the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays were my childhood favorites, and I'd still argue they are my favorite club, but I, I do cheer for the, uh, for the Oakland A's as well. So Nice. So, you're big into baseball, hey? I, I love it, man. Like, it's, it's, yeah. um, it's, it's such a momentum-based sport, and I, I did fall in love with watching watching some of the Raptors. Did get me in. I, I wouldn't say I bandwagoned or anything, but I, I paid attention to the sport a little bit more, which is really great. I think because the thing that captured me the most wasn't the sport, wasn't the bandwagoners. It was the idea of we had unity over a sporting mm-hmm. event, right? For a moment in time, the country stopped fighting with each other, and everybody was a Raptors fan. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was powerful. It was super cool. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It, I, I definitely noticed that as well. Um, and it, it's just good when you can see things. Like that. I mean, that is one of the big upsides to sports is that uh, it really does bring communities together. Yeah. And I'd argue the same with music. And I think those two things, um, I mean, little guy named Nelson Mandela kind of used that to, to rally all of South Africa. So it works, right? Like, mm-hmm rugby nation did that so it's like it can it's it's amazing what the activities of humans can do to to quell the uh, emotions and irrational fears and i think uh, to maybe close things down here what are your thoughts on the phrase of uh, people aren't um they're they're just they're ignorant and what they're what they don't know and what they don't embrace is what they get mad at or what they hate on is that something that uh, that you see what what are your thoughts on that yeah i see that um I definitely see that as a, as a thing that most people do. Um, I think it comes from this idea also that I think, uh, I think we live in a big no culture. Mm. Um, no is, is the default setting for people. I don't know. I'm unsure. I've never done that. So no, or I don't understand that. So no, or that's not what I was taught or that's not how, you know what I mean? So just yeah. no. Uh, whereas I think we need to turn ourselves more into just into a yes culture, you know, mm-hmm. uh, be open to more things, be, and be all, like above all that, be open to understanding that maybe like just, you're not the center of the universe. Your mindset is not the only one out there and you would only benefit as a person to 
to learn somebody else's viewpoint. Even if you don't agree with it, even if it's not anything that she'll use, the, just the power of sitting down and listening to someone non-judgmentally with an open mind is so, so powerful for you as an individual. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Bang on then. Bang on then. That's perfect. All right. Final question, dude. This one's a big one. Okay. You sitting down? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Been sitting down. Dream band. I know. (laughs) A dream band. If you could build a band, it doesn't matter. Trio, duo, five piece, orchestra, don't care. Living or dead. Put together your dream band that you would put that no, there's no money you would not put down for this concert. Name it. Who would you put in that band? Like, can I be in the band too? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. That's a great question. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> so I'll be on, uh, I'll be on lead vocals. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and, uh, I definitely, oh, this is so hard. Okay, Steve Jordan would have to be my drummer. Yeah, no question, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Keith Richards would have to be my guitar player. Okay. No, actually, no, no. Keith Richards would have to be my bassist. You're putting uh, Richards on bass. Yeah, yeah. Keith Richards would be my bassist. Um, and then I would have Jesse Ed Davis. Um playing lead guitar mm-hmm. um i would have and then i'd also have robbie robertson on lead guitar on on guitar as well i just have all the guitar okay yeah you got like three or four um, <laughs> that's cool yeah and then i'll have uh garth hudson on uh keys and organs he's the the key player for uh the band i was gonna say is that um, yeah is that the band okay cool yeah that's in the band and then and then I would have Emmy Lou Harris singing backups. Oh boy. Um, what else? What else do I want in this band? Um, I'll take all of Santana's rhythm section. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the entire percussion ensemble of Santana. In there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'll have, uh, oh, I probably have, um, Oh, I'm trying to think of a good pedal steel player that I would want. Um, oh, his name is his name is escaping me right now, but he plays uh, pedal steel for played pedal steel for Buck Owens and the Buckaroos. Oh yeah, um, okay, fantastic. Rich, rich something, Rich Taylor maybe or something. I don't know. Sounds, I can't remember. That sounds like a pedal steel name. Yeah. Oh no, it was Pete something. Sneaky Pete's his nickname. Uh, I don't remember his last name. So Sneaky Pete would be my would be my pedal steel player, and then I would have Graham Parsons just to be a just to be around, just chilling. Yeah, he's kind of like you know when uh, I'm not sure how in depth you were with the uh, the late '90s um, uh, NHL scene, but like Mark Messier, he was getting up there, right? But they you still want a guy like that as the senior le- veteran leadership in the in the dressing room. You need somebody yeah. on stage that can just, you know, keep everybody cool, right? Yeah, absolutely. And have him just hanging out, you know, yeah, telling, he's just, me, telling yeah. me like, oh, yeah, that song's good. Or no, that song's trash. Here, right, play one of my songs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need that quality leadership. Um, uh, he's the character guy in there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good time. Just a, a, then, a character player. Yeah. 
and John Lennon would be hanging out. Bob Dylan would be hanging out too. Yeah. Uh, Crosby, like Stills, Nash, and Young. They'll, they'll all just be there, you know. I'll just, I'll just have everybody. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's that sounds like that sounds like a dream band, buddy. <laughs> oh yeah, it really is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You get now. Imagine the paycheck for that one song. Holy smokes! <laughs> Yo, but it's okay because money's no object. I know, right? Money ain't a thing, Jermaine Dupree. <laughs> just sign it. Perfect. Sign it. I love it. I love it. Well, dude, thank you so much for your time here today. Um, any final thoughts that you wanted to, uh, to communicate? Where can people find you? Um, any last little message that, uh, that you feel is really important to, uh, to communicate for today? Um, yeah, so you want to keep up with me. Um, follow me on, uh, on my Instagram, on my Facebook. It's uh, The North Sound, Y-X-E. Uh, follow me on there. Follow me on Spotify. I got a playlist of like 120 some songs. I just keep adding to it all the time. This is my yeah. favorite songs. Uh, follow me on there. Go check out my track between the ditches, which is uh, right now um, sitting. Uh, last time I checked, number 21 on the Indigenous Music Countdown. So it's moving on up. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I got some new music and stuff uh, coming on the way soon. So. Uh, yeah, you definitely don't want to miss out on any of that. So follow me on the socials. Invade my invade my privacy. Into my life. <laughs> get in my face. <laughs> yes, get all up in my face. Yeah, man. And, uh, well, I, I do. I do love. Actually, I got to make note too. I do love the um, the attention you put into your your uh, IG live. Like every once in a while, I'll catch you just pop up there. And anytime I'm sitting and I see that thing come up, I get the notifications. I buzz in because it's always a good conversation. Like you're you're more than uh, just playing the music. You'll have a little bit of a story. And for people that. Uh, that are, are sitting there, they should definitely get and follow in on, uh, on your IG and pick up on some of the new material that you'll lay down and, and put like little testing lines out there. It's uh, it's always interesting to hear what you're up to. Right. So. Yeah. I haven't done one of those in a while. I should jump on and do one of those. I was thinking about it the other night. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that. You inspired me to do that again. Yeah. Hey, get, reach out to Ty too. And you guys should uh, duo up because he's, he's taken a liking to it now too. He did his, uh, his first, for, for those that are listening, that's, uh, that's my group, um, uh, the Robbins Avenue. And we, we did something back when I was still out in Hamilton that actually, that was, that was pretty fun, man. Like I'd love to do that again. And, uh, and just do like that collaborative, you know, how you can bring people in on the, on the IG. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are always fun because you can bounce some ideas back and forth and, uh, and you know, share some songs and, and uh, put on a bit of a show through uh, the digital means nowadays. It's all going that way anyway. So it's, uh, it's pretty fun that way too. Yeah, pretty much. And everyone look out for that uh, Robbins Avenue North <laughs> Sound track. I can't wait. Dude, I can't wait. I think Ty even, uh, he put it into the set because we're playing um, High River for the Stampede here. And I think it's in the set. Like he's got like 30 songs or 40 songs or something like that that I just like glanced over. I'm like, well, I guess I'll learn all these in a day because that's when you get here. (laughs) Like the same day. I'm like, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, If he does play it, you'll have to try and send me some footage of it. Such a good song. Ty sings it well, so it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. We'll we'll get on that. Well, anyways, man. I, again, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you again so much for being on the dose here. And um, until next time, buddy. You keep on rocking. And uh, anything that I can do in the meantime, you just let me know. You know, I'm uh, I'm a man of the service. And you just put me put me in charge and put me in coach. I'm I'm there for you. All right. Yeah, man. Don't be right. Do right. That's how we do. 